Good morning. It is great to be together this beautiful morning. Um, I do hope that all of you are planning on staying after Bible class for our potluck meal. Uh, we're going to do something that families do together. We're going to give honor to people to whom honor is due. Um, we're going to honor Scott and Paula Ruska, who have served faithfully here at Netherwood Park for many years. Uh, they're moving to California, and we want to give them the honor that they're due before they leave. So we're going to do what people at the church do. We're going to get together and we're going to eat, because that's just the things that we do. Uh, but we're also going to have some, um, some words to say about Scott and Paula, some gifts to give them. Uh, but the main gift that you can give them is to be there. Um, to let them know how much that you uh, appreciate them, how much you love them, how much you uh, really want to encourage them as they move into this next chapter of their life and become a blessing to another congregation in California. So please plan on staying for that. Um, Also, I want to give you a Project 9K update. It's our Bible reading challenge here at Netherwood Park Church of Christ. And we have read so far 2,895 books of the Bible collectively as a congregation. Um, The reason that we have a Bible reading challenge is not because we like to keep track of numbers and those kind of things, but to encourage all of us to be immersed in God's Word. We are people of the Word. And it's important that all of us immerse ourselves in God's Word, that we engage in regular Bible reading, regular Bible study. So if you're not doing that, I want to encourage you to start now, to to come up with a plan so that daily you can be in your Bible, in God's Word. Something else that we want you to know about this church here at Netherwood Park is we are praying people. We are a praying church. Um, We every day um, pray for somebody about something. Things come into the to the office all of the time because we are people who believe in the power of prayer. And we'd like to pray for you. If there's something in your life or in the life of someone that you love that you know needs God's attention, needs God's action, we would encourage you to let us know about that so that we can lift your request up to our God. Every Sunday or Monday, depending on when I get those out, I send prayer requests out to almost 400 email addresses. So you need to know that the prayer requests that you make today are going out today or tomorrow to at least 400 people who are waiting to lift your prayer request up to God. So you can let us know what your prayer request is by just taking one of these green cards that you'll find in front of you, fill out your prayer request, and then drop it in one of our collection boxes and we will honor your request. You can find two collection boxes at the back of the auditorium, and you can find another one through these double doors up here. Also, I want you to know that we are a baptizing church. We believe in the power of baptism. Today in my sermon, I'm going to talk a fair amount about the old self and the new self. And it's in baptism that we join with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And we rise up out of the water as new creations, new creatures, no longer clothed with our old selves, but clothed with Jesus Christ. We are new people when we come out of baptism. And if you haven't been baptized, and if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you should be baptized. And we'd really like to have a conversation with you about that. Answer any questions that you might have so that you too can join with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection to rise as a new creature. 
So if you haven't been baptized and you would like to have a conversation about that, you can use the same green card. Turn it over. It says next steps. You check a box that's about baptism. Fill out your contact information and either I or one of the elders will contact you right away and we'll start that conversation. And then the final thing I want to mention as we get ready to, to engage in our sermon is that we believe in the power of the church. We believe that together we are much greater than we are separately. We believe that every Christian should be a part of a local congregation, should be under the oversight of an eldership, should be working and serving alongside other believers so that we can accomplish the purposes that God has laid before us. It's been really encouraging. It's been really a blessing over the last couple of months. It seems like every Sunday there's, there's other people who have decided they want to be a part of this congregation. And I want to thank you for doing that. And if you have been attending here for a while and you haven't let, yet let us know that you'd like to be a part of this congregation, why don't you do that today as well? You can use that same card Again, on the next step section, if you'll check the box that says that I'd like to talk to someone about being a member of this church, either I or one of the elders will contact you right away. We'll have that conversation as well. We'll have uh, a time to answer any questions that you might have so that you too can be a part of this church family, this congregation here at Netherwood Park. With that said, let's move on to our sermon this morning. Today we are continuing with our sermon series that we're calling Jesus Asks. Each week during this series, we're taking a a question that Jesus asked way back then, and we're applying it to our lives now. We're making it personal to us now. And today we're going to go to a dinner party. We're going to go to a dinner party that was interrupted by a woman who had a questionable reputation. And at that party, we're going to hear Jesus ask the host of the party, a man named Simon, do you see this woman? But before we do that, let's go to God in prayer. Let's ask him to help us see what he wants us to see in this story. Let's pray together. Father, you have blessed us so richly. And Father, as we gather around the communion table and we remember Jesus and his sacrifice for us, Father, we are struck by how greatly you have blessed us, people who were not deserving of those blessings. Father, thank you for looking on us in love. Father, thank you for giving us your forgiveness. Father, thank you for not judging us based on our past. And Father, I pray today as we look at this dinner party and as we as we are asked to really look at this woman, Father, that you will help us to see what you want us to see in this story. And Father, that you'll help us to see others as you would have us see them. And Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, I want you to know up front that today's lesson is going to be really difficult. It's not a challenge to understand. It's pretty easy to understand. It's not going to be a struggle, I don't think, for you to agree with what I'm going to talk about. But it's really difficult because today's lesson is really hard to put into practice. And the reason why it's difficult to put into practice is because it goes very much against human nature. 
We're going to talk about this party and we're going to see Simon respond to this woman. We're going to see him judge this woman exactly like our human natures would expect him to judge. And the challenge for us comes because we're going to see Jesus then redirect Simon and try to get Simon to see and respond and judge the woman not by his human nature, not by what Paul repeatedly refers to as his old self. But instead, Jesus is going to try to get Simon to see and respond and judge this woman by his spiritual nature. By what Paul frequently calls the new self. And we need to be very careful as we approach this story. Because this is one of those stories in the Bible where we have a tendency to quickly judge. Quickly judge one of the characters in the story. In this case, quickly judge Simon. We have a tendency to quickly judge Simon for the way he judges this woman. And when we do that, we're judging without recognizing how much we are like Simon. And not recognizing how much we rely on our human nature, just like Simon does. You see, it's naturally human for us to make snap judgments about other people. Most of us do it all the time. And others do it to us all of the time. It's naturally human to quickly judge others based on their reputations, not based on what we have actually seen or what we actually know about them, but based on what other people think they know about a person or about the group that that person belongs to. And it's naturally human to quickly judge others based on their rapping, not like rapping like musical rapping, their, their covering, what they look like. We do it all of the time. We judge based on their exterior, based on clothes, maybe based on hair, maybe based on skin color, maybe based on tattoos, maybe based on piercings, maybe based on someone's age, maybe based on their gender. It's also naturally human to quickly judge others based on various stereotypes we hold. We also do that all of the time. Things run through our minds like this. Well, people dressed like that are always like this. Or people with that skin color are always like this. Or old people like that always think like this. Or people who wear bow ties are always... No, that's probably not a a good example. But it's humanly natural to make quick, snap judgments about other people based on their reputations, based on their rapping. Father, please keep us from making those kind of judgments. See, making snap judgments is human nature. And the problem with relying on human nature to make judgments about other people is that Christ followers are called to rely on our spiritual nature, not on our human nature. We're called to see other people through our new self, through our spiritual eyes, not through our old self, not through our 
human eyes. And that was a big struggle for Simon at the dinner party. And it's a big struggle for me today, and it's a big struggle for us today. It's a real struggle to leave our human nature behind and live according to our new and spiritual nature. You know, as we read through our Bibles, we can tell how hard it has always been to leave human nature behind and instead rely on on our spiritual nature. One of the ways that we can tell it's always been a problem is just by reading Paul's letters and observing how often Paul wrote about this struggle that we have to leave behind our human nature and instead rely on our spiritual nature. It's all through Paul's letters to various churches. For example, as Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, he said that the wisdom of the world, he said, human nature is foolishness in God's sight. Human nature is foolishness to the spiritual nature. And Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, and he told them that the sinful nature, that human nature is in conflict with the spirit. It's in conflict with the spiritual nature. And Paul wrote to encourage the church in Ephesus and he reminded them that the new self, that the spiritual nature has been created to be like God and created to see others like God sees others. And in the Colossians letter, Paul says that the new self wasn't just created to be like God, but it's being constantly renewed in the image of God, to look like God. And the more we come to look like God, the more we're able to see others through God's eyes, through spiritual eyes. Also in writing to the church in Corinth, Paul reminded them that followers of Jesus Christ haven't received the spirit of the world. No, they've received the spirit from God. And they've received that spirit so that they can understand what God has given them. And what God has given us is the very mind of Christ. The attitude of Christ. The eyes of Christ. We aren't who we were before Christ. We're different And since we're different, we look at others and we judge others differently. We do it with our spiritual nature. So let's go to this dinner party with Simon and with Jesus and with this woman with a questionable past. And let's see how different she looks when she's viewed through the eyes of the spiritual nature. How different she looks through the eyes of the new self. How different she looks through the eyes of Jesus Christ instead of how she looks through the eyes of the old self, through the eyes of human nature, through the eyes of Simon. We'll be in Luke chapter 7. I'll begin reading with verse 36. Luke seven thirty-six. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house And reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, 
she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, Self, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And he would know what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And even though Simon hadn't verbally asked a question, Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And Jesus said, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. I came to your house and you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. I came to your house and you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Well, Simon is fully human, isn't he? And like us, his human nature is to judge and judge quickly. And judge he does. He judges the woman. He even judges Jesus. And then at Jesus' invitation, he also judges the characters in a story, in a parable that Jesus tells. So how good of a judge is Simon? I want you to know that to me, the uncomfortable part of this Story is that Simon judges exactly how I would naturally judge. I don't know how many of you lived or grew up in a small town. I did, a very small town. If you lived or grew up in a small town, you know that in a small town it's really hard for people to move beyond a bad reputation that they have in that town. Once you get labeled as promiscuous or once you get labeled as dishonest, or once you get labeled as untrustworthy, those labels tend to stick with you. And in many ways, the church is like a small town. And in this small town, this woman had lived a sinful life in Simon's town. So when Simon sees her crash this party, he naturally judges her based on her past based on her reputation. And Jesus wants Simon to know, and he wants us to know, that he has judged her incorrectly. He's judged her incorrectly because of her past actions. Because those past actions have blinded Simon to this extravagantly loving act that she's performing right now, right in front of him in his house. 
I don't know about you, but that kind of judging is uncomfortably familiar to me. It's my human nature. My human nature wants to keep judging people based on who they used to be or based on what they used to do. And that's how Simon judges. But he doesn't stop his judging there. This incorrect judging of the woman leads him, naturally, to also incorrectly judge Jesus. Oh, if Jesus is really a prophet, if Jesus is really who he claims to be, there's no way he would allow that woman. There's no way he would allow that kind of woman to actually touch him. Especially not in this very intimate and familiar way. This is also uncomfortably familiar to me. Simon, like I do with my human nature, makes a judgment based on association. He incorrectly judges Jesus guilty. Because Jesus is willing to associate with someone who Simon has already judged guilty. So Simon is blinded to who Jesus really is. He's blinded by the woman that Jesus is associating with. He's blinded by what she used to be. So Simon is two for two as a human nature judge, but he's O for two as a spiritual nature judge. And Jesus steps in and gives Simon one more chance, one more chance to judge correctly. But this time, Simon doesn't have to judge real people. He just has to judge the characters in a parable. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more, Simon? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly. Jesus said. Simon got this one right. He judged the parable right based on logic. And that doesn't surprise me a bit. Simon, like most of us, certainly like me, certainly finds it much easier with our human nature to judge correctly in the abstract. Finds it much easier to judge correctly in the abstract than he does in actual practice with real people. It's naturally much easier to say that everyone is deserving of grace. It's much easier to say that than to actually extend them grace. It's naturally easier for us to say that everyone is deserving of forgiveness. It's easier to say that than to actually offer forgiveness. It's naturally easier to say that your past doesn't matter. It's easier to say that than it is to actually act like your past doesn't matter. It's naturally easier to say that someone's appearance doesn't matter. It's easier to say that than it is to actually treat them like their appearance doesn't matter. Which is why James felt it necessary to tell a parable of his own about human nature and judging In the church. James chapter 2 and verse 1, James wrote this. He said, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, 
Don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a bow tie. And a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in wearing a long tie. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand over there or maybe sit on the floor over here by people's feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And then in verse 8, he continues and says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. James is pretty direct, isn't he? James makes it clear that we who are believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we who have been given the Spirit, aren't called to judge correctly in the abstract. No, we're called to judge correctly in practice with real people. So James tells us that human nature is to show favoritism to those who look like they have everything going for them. And human nature is to discriminate against those who don't look that way. But people who have the mind and the attitude and the eyes of Christ don't show favoritism based on a good reputation or a fancy wrapping or a favorable stereotype. And they don't discriminate against others based on a bad reputation or a ragged wrapping or a negative Stereotype. See, favoritism and discrimination, those are old self ways of judging. And it's the naturally human way of choosing who we're going to love. See, when we practice favoritism and we practice discrimination, we simply and naturally love others who are like ourselves. That's old self-loving. But we who are spiritual aren't called to love those who are like us. We're called to love like we love ourselves. That's the spiritual nature. We're called to the royal law. We're called to love others like we love ourselves. That's the spiritual nature. So when Jesus asked Simon, do you see this woman? He's also asking us. He's asking us if we see her through our human nature or if we see her through our spiritual nature. He's asking us if we're going to love her only if she's like us or if we're going to love her like we love ourselves. He's asking us if we're going to see her through Simon's human eyes or if we're going to see her through Jesus' spiritual eyes. See, the answer to the question for Simon is no. He didn't really see the woman. He saw her past. He saw her reputation. He saw her rapping. He saw her stereotype. 
So instead of love, he offered judgment. But Jesus saw the woman. He saw her for she, who she really was. Yes, a woman with a past, a fully human past. He also saw a woman full of regret, full of repentance, and full of love, full of extravagant love. Jesus saw her spiritual nature. So Jesus saw her for who she was, but he also saw her for who she could be. She could be a woman with a forgiven past and a spiritual future in God's kingdom. So Jesus saw her, and he loved her, and he forgave her, and he set her free from her past. And that's the only way that we can overcome our human nature. It's by becoming like Jesus, by having the very nature of Jesus, by having the mind of Christ, so we can see others through the eyes of Christ. And having the mind of Christ means we look at other people differently than our human nature demands. See, our human nature demands that we judge and we reject others based on their reputation or their rapping or their stereotype. But our spiritual nature makes a different demand. See, when we have the mind of Christ, we actually seek those people out. We don't seek them out to judge and reject them. We seek them out to love them and to bring them Jesus' grace and Jesus' mercy. That's having the mind of Christ. I think Matthew gives us a very revealing look into the mind of Christ. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. We read, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. And then while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and with sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners. See, having the mind of Christ, having a spiritual nature, seeks out the very people our human nature would judge and reject. See, having a spiritual nature demands that we seek out tax collectors and sinners. That we seek out people with bad reputations and questionable wrappings and negative stereotypes. Our spiritual nature insists that our eyes focus on the needs of sinners, not on the needs of the righteous. Our spiritual nature calls us to be more concerned about bringing mercy to sinners than about the sacrifice of the righteous. And our spiritual nature calls us to humility. 
A humility that mirrors the humility of Jesus Christ. A humility that values others above ourselves, regardless of their reputations, regardless of their wrapping, regardless of their stereotype. Humility that values others above ourselves. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul beautifully writes this. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude, your nature, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness, and then being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So brothers and sisters, we're called to have the mind of Christ. We're called to the spiritual nature, to the nature of Christ. We're called to the attitude of Christ and the humility of Christ. And it's not because of who we are, and it's not because of anything that we have done, No, we're called to that because of what Jesus has done for us. He humbled himself. And he died on the cross for sinners, for sinners like us. For sinners like me. And for sinners like Simon. And for sinners like the woman with a questionable past. Let's pray. Father, my prayer is that you you will overwhelm our human nature with your love. My prayer is that you will give us the mind of Christ. Father, you'll give us the heart of Christ. Father, you'll give us the attitude of Christ, the eyes of Christ, the humility of Christ. Father, the mercy of Christ. Father, it is hard to leave behind our human nature, but Father, help us to love others like we love ourselves. Father, help us to love others like you love us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So as we end this morning, I want to hear, I want you to hear Jesus ask. I want you to hear Jesus ask this. Do you see the man? Do you really see the man? Do you see the woman? Do you really see the woman? Do you see this child? Do you really see this child? Do you see them the way that Jesus sees you? See, we're here as testimony that we have to thank God that he sees us the way we are. And he loves us anyway. Let's stand and sing to that God. Sing.